Good morning again, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'll read today's topic from our weekly readings, Rays of the One Light. How democratic is truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. We live in an age where people assume that knowledge should be available equally to all. In matters susceptible of judgment by normal common sense, however, everyone knows there are exceptions. Access to a control room for intercontinental missiles is limited by universal consent to a very few. Access to the controls of a passenger airliner is limited to those with the necessary knowledge for operating them and also to those with proper authorization. If people don't see the advantage of making more subtle knowledge universally available, it is only because they are ignorant of the risks involved. In the case of subtle knowledge, the main disadvantage in making it universally available is the harm it might do to one who isn't ready for it and who might even mock it. True, by mocking truth he might undermine the faith of a few truth seekers, but then such tests can also be beneficial as a means of strengthening faith. Again, the clever doubter's misrepresentation of those truths may dissuade a few seekers from the spiritual path, but if a seeker is really sincere, he will recognize the truth eventually because it res resonates with his own being. No, the greatest problem accrues to the shallow doubter himself, to give him an opportunity to affirm his ignorance might only estrange him even more from the truth, delaying the time when he will turn, as all people must eventually, to the light. Thus, the scriptures advise not secrecy, but discretion in sharing the truth. Jesus Christ in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. And Sri Krishna says in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Never speak of these truths to one who is without self-control or devotion, who renders no service, who does not care to hear, or who speaks ill of me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Om. 
Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming today, and thank you for joining us online. So let's begin with a reading from Master's Book of Prayer Poems and Prayer Demands, Whispers from Eternity. This is Demand to Find God at Any Time, Anywhere. Teach me, O Father, to find thee in the cave of my heart, that I may walk with thee everywhere. Teach me to hear thee in silence, that I may hear thy voice beneath outer noises. Teach me to find thee in inner peace, that I may be with thee calmly in the midst of outer tumult. Hubbub or silence, tumult or peace, I care not, so long as thou wilt teach me to find thee anywhere at any time. So we have an interesting subject today, and it could get kind of intellectual, but let's try to make it fun. How democratic is truth? I remember some years ago we were having a discussion with Swami, Swami Kriyananda, and somehow we were talking, we spoke with him on many, many topics, uh, wide range, wasn't just work or teachings related. But in this particular incident, we were talking about politics and government. And we mentioned, well, looking at the world, you can see that democracy is clearly the best form of government. And Swami very much surprised us with this answer. He said, not at all. <laughs> he, he said, in this age, this lower age of Dwapara Yuga, democracy is probably the best thing we can come up with. In fact, uh, there's a story that after the Founding Fathers uh, finished writing that really remarkable, remarkable document, the American Constitution, United States Constitution, uh, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, we have given you democracy, now let's see what you do with it. And look what we've done with it these many years later. But So Swami went on to say, in a higher age, the best form of government is that of the enlightened monarch, the philosopher king, someone who is God-attuned, who makes decisions based on wisdom, based on divine attunement and guidance. And this is the best way that a country or nation, a people can be governed. Well, what's in, Swami goes on to say about there are clearly situations that cannot be democratic. What does dem democracy mean? The root words demo is people, crassi is government, so government of the people, by the people, for the people, as it says. But what Swami is saying is there are clearly levels of truth that everyone can't access, either by lack of intelligence, lack of understanding, closed mind, prejudice, whatever it might be. And so the limitation of democracy is that everyone gets a vote. And whether you have intelligence, whether you have objectivity, whether you have a real clear vision of what should happen to lead a good country, you, you get your vote. And so it is that we find that very often people's decisions are just based on emotion. They're just based on who's the better showman out there. And then, oh, well, he must be a good candidate. 
And I remember another instance with Swamiji. We were uh, listening to a piece of music by Mozart, and Swami was everything you did with him. I mean, it could be the most trivial, the most exalted. He just took it to the deeper level. And so we were listening to this piece of Mozart, and Swami just said very quietly, under his breath almost, he said, Mozart was such a consummate artist. He never compromised integrity for showmanship. And that's what, what's so wrong with so much of politics. It's, it's just showmanship. And integrity, the quiet voice of truth, very often gets kind of sidelined. But nevertheless, truth exists. No matter how much we get confused, no matter what people do to create, to disrupt the environment or the economics or whatever it might be, truth exists. And there are those people who are able to perceive it. Not everyone, but there are those. And it's up to people who are seeking truth, as we all are, because God is truth. God is many things. He's truth. He's love. But there is an eternal truth that is part of the very fabric of creation, the molecular structure, you could say, of creation, and that's truth. And it's up to us to try to perceive what that truth is. Pull aside the veils. Pull aside the showmanship of the world and just listen and look for the quiet voice of truth that is always there, always there speaking humbly, quietly in the background. Master said, uh, I will come back in the future and I will sit in, in the back of the church and I will know you, but you won't know me and I will watch all of you. What he was saying was the quiet presence of God is eternally there and we may forget it. We may forget truth in the showmanship of the moment, but it's always there. It will, it's always there to be found. And so in this instance of not giving, not sharing truth with people until they're ready, well, it makes sense on so many different levels. Because, for example, if you wanted to study, uh, let's say, ballet, in your very first class, the teacher said, okay, now we're all getting on our point shoes and let's go out there and dance on point. And you'd break an ankle. You, you'd get so discouraged and you say, this is not for me. But if a good teacher, and most of them are very good, will say, okay, let's start easy. Let's do a few little warm-ups here. Let's learn to strengthen our feet, stretch our feet, strengthen our ankles, all and, and build bit by bit till finally when you get to the point where he, the teacher said, okay, let's go on point, it's just very natural to you. Well, so it is with spiritual teachings. We have to start where we are. And we can't just say, um, you know, people sometimes ask us, well, why don't you just give Kriya Yoga right away? Why do we have to wait to get it? Some groups give it the first weekend you come. Yes, but what happens to those people? And we know because they call us. Some weeks later, they're saying, I totally don't understand what I was taught. I'm to, I stopped practicing. I, I'm not ready to do this to discipline myself every day. And so what Swami is saying in that reading is, if you give people truth, spiritual teachings, before they're ready, 
ultimately, it hurts them because it creates a block because they're not ready to practice them. And then, like in the situation in the, um, of giving Kriya Yoga too early, people will say, oh, well, I did that. It didn't really work. And, they, and then maybe later in life when they would be ready, then they, uh, they'll say, oh, no, I tried that. It didn't work. I remember some years ago, Jatish and I were uh, giving, this is when we had an ashram in San Francisco, and we were giving a class uh, at a local church, and they had kind of a open house night. Many different classes were opened in this church. It was, a, for those of you who know churches in San Francisco, it was a Unitarian church, and it had many rooms. And so this was an open house night for classes. And uh, all the different teachers were there, and we had people could sign up and so forth. And at one point, these two very nice-looking kind of society ladies, middle-aged ladies, came up to us, and they said, oh, what's this class? And we said, well, this is a class on meditation. And the women looked very disappointed, and they said, oh, meditation, we already did that. And I kind of thought inside, I don't think so. But that's what happens when people get it too early. Thank you, helicopter, for going away. And thank you all for not all watching the helicopter. <laughs> um, in any case, if you get it before you're ready, you dismiss it. And that's what happened to these ladies. It's what happened with people who get created too early. But if you, if, as we do, if you really prepare people for Kriya, if you give them the training, if they get in the habit of meditation, then when they get Kriya, even if they don't get it at first, they worked so hard for it that they're going to really try. If it's given too easily, too quickly, they say, okay, then work for me. But for most of us, it's certainly true for me, it took years before I really felt I knew what I was doing with Kriya. Years. So I'd say that to encourage you, not discourage you. But if, but I had worked for it. It was important to me. And I thought, I'm going to keep trying till I really begin to see what Swami keeps talking about. And little by little, I did. And so it's important for all of us to understand that we need to receive things when we're ready, when we're open, and it talks in the, in the passage from the Bible, very famous passage, uh, do not cast your pearls before swine. And it's, there is, I have to just share, there's a very humorous story. Some of you may know it. There were two women. They were kind of known as rival wits in New York in the 30s and 40s and 50s, actually, um, and they, they were both very accomplished women, Dorothy Parker and Claire Booth. And both were writers and poets and playwrights. But they kind of had a rivalry going about who was the greatest wit in the New York kind of artistic intelligentsia scene. So one day uh, they were going to some event at a hotel, and there was Dor Dorothy Parker, who was the elder, the oldest of them. They weren't old. And... Um, and Claire Booth, and there was a revolving door to get into this hotel. And so uh, Claire, the younger, kind of gestured to Dorothy Parker, you go first. And then she said, age before beauty. And Dorothy Parker didn't miss a beat, and she looked at her, and she moved through, and she said, pearls before swine. <laughs> uh, very 
it's often quoted. But you know, I was I wanted to check my facts about this because you just think of Dorothy Parker as I don't know, just kind of a not a very I don't know, deep soul, just kind of intellectual and witty. But when she died, it was the year before Martin Luther King was assassinated. She had acquired a great deal of wealth. She gave all her money to Martin Luther King. I didn't know that. And then he was assassinated a year later, and uh, all that money went to the NAACP. So it, I was happy to hear that, that she wasn't just kind of an intellectual wit or something like that. But then we come to the more important part of this reading, and that's the Gita passage. And that's where Krishna says to Arjuna and to all of us, don't share these teachings. And he lists five things, five cautions for people who, without self-control, self-discipline, don't share them with people without devotion, Don't share them with people who render no service. Don't share them with people who don't care to hear them. And don't share them with people who speak ill of me. Now, let's reverse that. Let's look at our own lives and say, well, how can I best receive these teachings? I need to look at those qualities in myself. Do I have self-control and self-discipline in my life. It's a big part of being a yogi. It's not, you can't really have a dynamic spiritual life if you just cruise along. Maybe I'll meditate today, maybe maybe a little bit tomorrow. But if, just as we were talking about concentration, with your heart, with your fixity of purpose, saying this is what I'm doing with my life and everything else can wait. But her search for God cannot wait. So to look at where in your own life, if you want to receive these teachings, because essentially Krishna is saying, I won't give you these teachings if you're lacking in any of these areas. So look at where you, and we don't have to be tense and nervous and setting an impossibly high bar for ourselves. But look at one thing in your life that you could do better and say, okay, I'm going to work on that one. If, I, if it's time to meditate rather than picking up my iPad, no. No, no, no. It's time to meditate. And so look at what you can do to discipline yourself more. Second, unless you have devotion, I can't give you these teachings. And so look at, am I deepening that devotion? Am I reading a little bit from Master or Swamiji every day? Am I looking in their eyes? It's good to have a discipline. We have to have a disciplined meditative practice, but without devotion, it can just become mechanical. So be sure in your spiritual life that you're fostering devotion, looking at Master's picture, calling on him to awaken within you, chanting, singing to God. When you're working, be thinking about God, um, offering him your love. So add devotion to it. Then Krishna said, I can't give you these teachings if you're not rendering service. So everybody's busy. I mean, I look around this beautiful amphitheater. Nobody is just sort of twiddling their thumbs, so to speak. But service is different. Service is with the thought of God in all you do. And I see that in this community. 
I see when I look around driving or walking and I see people doing their various assigned tasks, none of it is for money. <laughs> it's a good thing. But <laughs> none of it is just, okay, I've got to mow this lawn or I've got to, to transcribe this talk. There's such a beautiful spirit of service. And I'm before my eyes, I'm looking at one of our great members here, Patricia, and who works at our clinic. And, you know, the clinic staff, they are living embodiments of service. And I don't think they could do what they do if they didn't have the thought, I am serving God here. I am serving God here. And every time I go in there, I am so impressed by that. So we need to find a way to render service. It doesn't necessarily mean teaching or working in outreach ministry. It's to do whatever you do with the thought of God. Then God can give you these teachings. So the heart of devotion, the mind with self-discipline, the actions of our hands and feet through rendering service. And then Krishna said, I can't give you these teachings if you don't care to hear them. And what does that mean? It means, are we open? Or do we have so many other things in mind that we just say, okay, well, I'll listen to this with a little bit of my mind. I'll meditate with part of my mind. I'll read the autobiography with part of my mind. But the rest of it's going to be just what I want to do. And so we have to really want to hear these teachings. We have to give it our concentration. We have to be open to it, too, because it could come at any time. We never know. We never know. I remember the very first summer, there was a a family that lived here, and they had two really cute little kids. And there was a little boy. Some of you may remember him. He was probably about four years old at the time. His name was Kenny Michael, and he had a lisp. And one day he just came up to me, and he said, Davy. You on an ego twip. And I, I just thought, oh, my gosh. If he can see it, then probably other people can see it, too. But you never know when people are going to, when that advice is going to come to you. And then, finally, who speak ill of me? I can't, I can't help you if you speak ill of me. Now, what does that mean? Because few of us, you know, kind of speak ill of God or Master. But it's more an attitude of mind where we just we're hedging our bets, you know. Well, I like this God thing, and I, yeah, Yogananda is my guru, but I'm not entirely committed to it yet. And that, it's a mental thing of re- withholding your full commitment. And when we can move past that, then we can start to, then Krishna says, then I can give you my teachings. But I want to also touch on a last point. Sometimes people feel, I think we all do, but a friend of mine said this recently, I feel like a fraud on the spiritual path because there's so much of me that is resistant. And I want to really assure you that that as long as there is some part of you that wants the spiritual life, even if it's a little bitty part, you're not a fraud. 
That's genuine. And that's why Master's brilliant explanation of the Bhagavad Gita, that it's not about two armies. It's about our mental citizens and our democracy within. And we're all voting, aren't we? All our citizens are voting in different ways. Some are voting for truth and integrity, and some are voting for self-interest. And because there are still those mental citizens that are voting for, for the lower part of ourselves does not negate the fact that we have other soldiers. Please believe that because it's so important. That's why Master said that the Kurukshetra is an inner conflict. And that's what the spiritual life is. It's an inner conflict between our higher nature and our lower nature. Or that part of us that wants God and that part of us that isn't so sure. And what we need to do, just like in an election, everybody's going to vote. All of our mental citizens have the right to vote. But we need to just have a campaign, get really good ads out there (laughs) for the side we want to win, and just keep strengthening the positive qualities and the negative parts of ourself, the indifferent parts of ourself, gradually, gradually, the energy withdraws from them. And that's, again, Master's brilliant interpretation. He's, because Krishna, uh, Arjuna says to Krishna, as he looks at the battle with his good and bad tendencies, and he said, I can't fight. I can't fight the bad tendencies. They're part of myself. But what Krishna says then is nothing dies. Those tendencies, yeah, they are part of yourself, but just take that energy and move it over to the side of your positive qualities. And little by little, the negative votes, the naysayers, just become weaker and weaker till finally you can't even hear them. You can't hear them. And you, I remember going one day to one of our school uh award ceremonies, and I believe it was Narani's class, and they would have this game called Little Self, Big Self, and the little, the the kids would play it with each other, and when one was acting selfish or mean or whatever it was, the other children would say, Little Self, Little Self, and when one of them was acting, you know, generous, kind, joyful, then the other kids would say, Big Self, Big Self, And this one little boy got up. He was a first grader, I think. Very sweet little boy. And he just said, we would play this game all year round. And by the end of the year, I couldn't even remember my little self. Well, that's what happens to us. The democracy gets replaced by an enlightened monarchy. And the kingdom, the philosopher king, the guru within us reigns. And we understand at last, okay, maybe I'm not there 100% God, but the good guys are winning. And even if they're not necessarily winning, as long as they keep fighting, you will win because God and Guru are on your side. And they will help you through. They will help you win the battle. That's why Krishna drove Arjuna's chariot. I won't fight for you, but I'll drive your chariot. And that's what God and Guru do for us. And so, my friends, never give up. Never get discouraged. The kingdom of 
our soul inevitably, inescapably, ineluctably. I love big words. Swami used to use big words, and I would always write them down and look them up because I didn't know what half of them meant. But that kingdom will triumph. And then we'll be able to receive everything we wanted to know, all the answers to the universe, all the, the esoteric knowledge. It will be there for us. But more important than any of it, we will know God. We will know that joy, that love. We need to do the work on our part. We need to open up and receive the teachings that our guru has given us. And then we have to just accept ourselves and say, Lord, maybe I'm at the very end of the race, but I'm still running, and I won't stop until I cross the finish line. And with God and Guru's grace, we will all cross that finish line. Some men call it progress, down with those who doubt. To join the causes, others join and shout when others shout. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Perish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone. Don't look back, just go on alone. <clears throat> Some men lack the daring ever to be free. They shun the heights and crowd the depths and court security. You're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone. Don't look back, just go on alone. Cowards see but pride in singularity. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone. Don't look back, just go on alone. Claim the power within you, ever to defy. Change or disappear, but truth can never die. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone.